We meet today in Psalm chapter 9 and chapter 10. We are looking at a certain man. And in these chapters, we are going to look at selected verses. Now, Psalms 9 and Psalm 10 are closely connected and might actually have originally been one. As together, they constitute a partial acrostic or an alphabetical poem in the Hebrew text. The two Psalms also have similar phrases. However, there is also good reason for separating the two with respect to their theme. Psalm 9 is one of thanksgiving, whereas Psalm 10 is a complaint over the godless and his pride and prosperity. We are climbing an ascending stairway between the two, the first two messianic psalms, which was chapter 2 and chapter 8. Psalm 8 was the pinnacle, and now we are starting down the mountain on the other side. The descent will be through seven psalms that tell out a prophetic story. We will get glimpses of the suffering of the Jewish remnant at the end time, and also a glimpse of the man of sin, also called the lawless one, who is yet to appear upon the earth. Psalm 9 is addressed to the chief musician, to the tune of Death of the Son. It is also ascribed to David, the sweet singer of Israel. Now, there are those who see the death of Goliath in this psalm. Others identify it with the death of Bathsheba's son. It means death of the son, the firstborn. And I would rather think that it refers to what happened in the land of Egypt when Israel was delivered from slavery through the death of the firstborn of Egypt. It begins with a note of praise. Here is Psalm 9 verse 1 and verse 2. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. You see, this psalm begins with praise, just as Psalm 7 begins with praise. As in the seventh psalm, so in Psalm 9, the praise is in anticipation of the coming victory so beautifully predicted in Psalm 9, when all things will be put under the feet of him who was made a little lower than the angels. In fact, the first section of this psalm is a prophetic forecast of what earthly conditions will be when the Son of Man has received the throne in righteousness and in peace. In view of the future deliverance, we have this great song of praise in which all earthly people will join in that day. We have a picture of this even in the book of Revelation, when that great company out of the nation of Israel, the church, and the 24 elders will share in a time of great praise unto God. Here is Psalm 9, verse 3 and verse 4. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne, judging 
in righteousness. Once again, we move into that time, the time of the kingdom that is mentioned in Psalm 8, when all things will be put under the feet of Jesus. Martin Luther put it like this, One with God is a majority. Now, the important thing to David was that his cause was right. And let us also make sure that we are on God's side. And when we are on God's side, we are in the majority. Now the psalmist speaks of the coming judgment. Psalm 9, verse 5 to verse 6. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. O enemy, destructions are finished forever. You have destroyed cities. Even their memory has perished. Now, this is a very strong declaration of judgment that is going to come. Now, throughout the Middle East today, one can find numerous tales, ancient mounds that mark the ruins of long-forgotten cities, long-forgotten cities. When I was around the area of Galilee, you would see even the ruins around Capernaum, forgotten, forgotten. Over the centuries, layers of debris and sand have buried successive cities, by the way. Even the memory of once thriving communities has ceased to exist. Unless found and excavated by archaeologists, they will remain unknown. Now, tales are a witness to the truth that is expressed in Psalm 9 verse 6. David's enemies have not only been destroyed, they have become forgotten. And archaeologists now pick through the ruins of cities populated by Israel's ancient enemies. Guess what? The Philistines, the Moabites, the Syrians, the Egyptians, and all of them, they find those things under the rubble, telling the truth that is expressed in this verse. Meanwhile, hundreds of millions of people around the world, they still worship David's descendant, Jesus, the eternal Lord, King and Judge of the world. Now here is Psalm 9, verse 7 to verse 8. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall administer judgment for the people in uprightness. He shall judge the world in righteousness. That is an important statement, my friend. Righteousness is what is needed today. The one who makes the right is God. Right is not necessarily right is not necessarily what you or I think. It was God who divided the light from darkness. I have never been able to separate light from darkness. I have never been able to do so. And I have never gotten up before daylight, waved the wind and brought up the sun. Never. It's only God who does it, my friend. He is the one who declares what is right. If you don't think so, you are wrong. That is just the way it is. It is as simple as that. Someone has to make the rules. 
God makes the rules for this universe because he is the one who is running it. God is going to be around for a long time after you and I have long gone. And I think he still has the prerogative to decide what is right. And therefore, he shall judge the world in righteousness. Now, moving down a few verses, we have a picture of the condition before Christ comes to establish his kingdom. That picture is given in Psalm 9, verse 13. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death. Again, we have here the statement, have mercy on me, O Lord. I don't know about you, but I need God's mercy. You may question that since I said there the will be justice when he comes. But you see, justice has already been established and where it is in the person of Jesus Christ. That was established when he bore our sins and he has already been made our righteousness. What I need today is mercy and mercy is extended to us again in the person of Jesus Christ. Psalm 9 verse 14, that I may tell of all your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation. You see, the psalmist wants to tell the story of the praises of God in the gates of the daughter of Zion. And by the way, Zion refers to Jerusalem, the city of God. You and I need to rejoice in God. We need more people who actually just learn to rejoice in God. And the psalmist re is rejoicing in the Lord God, his Savior, the Lord God who has given him salvation. Psalm 9 verse 15. The nations have sunk in the pit which they made, in the net which they hid. Their own foot is caught. Now, the nations are sunk down in the pit that they have made. Look around. Look at the nations of the world today. Even the great nations of the world, they have actually sunk in a pit. They seem to be caught. This is the condition of the world at the present time. We too tend to be caught in our own things that we have made. The pit that you dig, there is where you fall in. Like I mentioned earlier on, the scientists thought that they are bringing solutions to the problems of the world. And science itself has actually brought pollution to the world. The pit that we dug, we are sinking in. Psalm 9, verse 16 to verse 17. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Meditation. Sila. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. Now, a cry goes out, the wicked shall be turned into hell. Again, hell here is sure, that is, to death, and that all the nations that forget him will be turned to hell. Now, this is a great principle that God has put down. 
Psalm 9 verse 18. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. The needy shall not always be forgotten. I want to tell you the good news, my friend. The Lord Jesus is not running for any office. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is not anxious to please any party or any group on this earth. When Christ came to earth the first time, he came to do God's will. Since he is God, when he comes again, he is going to do his own will. My friend, the need shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. They are expecting a great deal from men, but only God will meet their need. Psalm 9, verse 19. Arise, O Lord, do not let men prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Now this statement, let the nations be judged. The nations are yet to be judged according to our Lord Jesus. Even in Matthew chapter 25 verse 31 to 46. And he shall even separate them one from another as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. Psalm 9, verse 20. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Sila. You see, there are some people today who feel that they are operating in the position of God. They are never to feel that way. Remember that the inscription of this psalm is to the tune of death of the Son. If you consider the son of Goliath or Pharaoh, both of them are little pictures of the Antichrist who is yet to come. He will be Satan's man and he will put himself in the position of God and God will ultimately put him down. Now when we come to Psalm 10, we still see Satan's man, the man of the earth, which closely identifies Psalm 10 with Psalm Nine. Notice how wicked the one who is described in Psalm 10. Here is Psalm 10, verse 1 to verse 3. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised, for the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. My friend, there are two things that characterize the wicked in this verse. Pride and boasting. Do you want to know who the wicked are as you look around the world? Well, they are those who are filled with pride. The great people of the earth who have no place for God in their lives. Also, they do a great deal of boasting. Psalm 10, verse 4. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Well, that statement is important. God is in none of his thoughts. Is better translated, all his thoughts are, there is no God. You see, Antichrist will be an atheist. In the time of David, 
they began to emerge for the first time in history those who were called atheists. There were no atheists at the beginning because they were too close to the linking post of revelation. After all, Noah knew a man who knew Adam. When you are that close to the time of creation, you are not apt to deny the existence of God. When the Ten Commandments were given, there were no commandments against atheism, but there was one against polytheism, the worship of many gods. The first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment is, you shall not make for yourself any graven images or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Exodus 20 verse 3 to verse 4. You see, there are two commandments against polytheism and none against atheism because there were no atheists at that time. However, David will mention atheism several times. The Antichrist at the end of times will be characterized by atheism filled with pride and boasting. Psalm 10 verse 5 to verse 6. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above, out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he sneers at them. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. Now, this also characterizes man today, boasting of his prosperity and self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency is not godly. Man feels he has no need of God. And that is characteristic of Antichrist. Notice something else that will characterize Antichrist. Psalm 10 verse 13. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. You see, not only does he not believe in God, but he despises him. It is inconsistent to despise someone who does not exist. Apparently, he has to exist to build up this kind of bitterness and hatred. When he says, you will not require an account, he is saying that there is no judgment. There is a great multitude of people today emerging in our contemporary culture who are saying that there is no God. Or if he exists, he is too far from them to bother with. And they are confident there will be no judgment. My friend, if you take that position, anything goes. And whenever someone says there is no God, they are trying to deal with the issue of accountability. Inside, they know that they will be accountable. And how do they deal with that sense of accountability? Is to deny the existence of God. God is probably the most unpopular person in the world right now. Why? Because the wicked are in the saddle. We are moving towards the time when the sin of man will lead to the man of sin, this final antichrist. Here is Psalm 10, verse 16 to verse 18. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. Lord, you have had the desire 
of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the men of the earth may oppress no more. The men of the earth here is Antichrist. With crime of all kinds seemingly out of control today, Psalm 10 is a very appropriate prayer for modern-day believers to pray. It asks God to raise up injustice against the man of the earth. The psalm describes this person as wicked. Characters that fit this description can be found in newspaper stories on any day of the week. They range from street thugs to white-collar criminals. They may or may not use violence, but one thing they have in common is that they prey on the weak, the defenseless, and the powerless. But Psalm 10 assures us that when we oppose evil in all its individual and institutional forms, we are joined by the Lord. Ultimately, he will prevail and bring long overdue justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. Meanwhile, believers are to work towards that end in the here and now. Come, let us work for that end. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies please send an email to info at twrafrica.org. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me repeat that email address for you. Info at twrafrica.org.